I'm looking for other opportunities to blend it into the culture of our company, to the culture of our team. We already know largely in many ways, like where are we going? What are we standing for? But I see this as a component of our core values and looking for the manner in which that tweaks and adjusts our core values. And for me, when I train core values, a core value says every single thing that you do flows through these. And if anything you're going to do violates any one of these, then you don't do it. So I'm very careful about how I adjust those core values, but I'm looking for how does that fit? How do we adapt that in a way that we can make a difference for the broader world, not just in things like human trafficking, poverty and hunger and racism, all of which we're all of which we're working towards, and suicide for sure. But how do we make a difference in the in the broader impact that isn't divided but affects everyone, which is our environment? Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. Between asking a man about recovering from a heart attack in your 40s and about water bottles, where do you start? As it turns out, in Dan's case, they're more closely related than I would have thought. We started talking about recovering from the heart attack. Dan has faced his mortality several times before, as he talked about various injuries and accidents that he's had. So fear of death didn't hit him most. We talked more about changes to his lifestyle, particularly diet, which connected with sustainability and with the bottles. As a leadership community leader, Dan noticed and shared his emotional experiences more than most, both with the changing the diet, with the recovering from the heart attack, and also with the bottles. Since he and I are friends who talk a lot, I think you'll find the conversation more friendly than most. And I think you'll hear more intimacy than with many podcast conversations. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Dan McPherson. Dan, how are you doing? Fantastic. How are you doing, my friend? Very good. Glad to hear. I'm torn between wanting to ask you about water bottles and wanting to ask you about recovering from heart attacks and rehab. Uh, any preference on your side of where to start? You know, I think they're they're both in some odd ways, a little bit related. But I think since we've we've talked about both and one led to the other, why don't we start on the heart side and then we'll lead into the water. Yeah, that sounds so touching. Let's start on the heart side. <laughs> Although in your case, it's medical. It's a little bit of what, you know, I, I've told people a few times in the, in the last month or so, I'm like, my heart is with you. And that means more than it used to. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so you got a lot of literal heart things going on. You're heartbroken. Yeah, yeah, a little bit like that. Thankfully, I'm a little bit more heart repaired than I was a couple months ago. I had, since we last talked, I, I actually had a, a scare and jumped back into the hospital for a little bit. I was feeling significant pains in my chest, which this is an, I, I've, I've spoken to a number of people who've been through heart issues. And it's very common that once you leave the hospital, you've, you've basically on the road to recovery from your heart attack, your heart surgery, whatever it may be, that you're super sensitive to any pain that you may feel in that area. And that was me. Like the first first couple of weeks, I'd feel like the tiniest twinge, something that I wouldn't have even noticed beforehand. And now I'm like, am I okay? Is it gonna, is it gonna be all right? And I got past that. And then I started feeling really significant pain, like something that was persistent. It was significant. It was in the area of my heart. 
I became concerned. I called the on-call doctor, talked to them. They said, yes, go into the emergency room right now. I went into the emergency room. Everybody was a little concerned. They did a bunch of tests. They actually thought while we were there that I was going to have another heart catheter within 30 days of the last one. And that, that spurred a lot of different mental gymnastics for me. I remain incredibly grateful, but I, and I knew what to expect, which was better, but it was also like, man, I knew what to expect. Mm. <laughs> and, and that was a lot. And we went through so many tests over, a, I guess, an 18-hour period. And at one point, about 10 a.m. in the morning, the, the doctors had all told me, okay, you're going to have a heart catheter later today. We've processed your admission. You're staying. And I was dealing with the mental challenges that I needed to do to sort of reinforce myself and be in a good place with it. And then about an hour, hour and a half later, the chief cardiologist comes in and looks at everything and he says, you know what, guys, the data all tells us this isn't coming from his heart. And the reason they thought it was coming from my heart, other than the pain, was that the first time when they did the heart catheter, they cleared out one of my arteries that was 100% blocked, but they left one that was 60% blocked that has a lesion in there. And that's because the standard is if it's less than 70% blocked, they don't go in and do it. I look at it and think 60% sounds like a lot to Mm -hmm. me and I'd love for that to be open, but that led them down this path. He comes in, looks, says "It's it's not due to the heart and we are we're going to look at everything else. And they they looked at everything else and they were confident it wasn't coming from my heart, which was good. And I felt better. And I was like, great, but I was still in a lot of pain. He said, I think, which is always the words you really want to hear from your doctor who's getting ready to release you into the world. I think that it's inflammation and muscle issues related to your increased activity. A certain percentage of people get this. And oh, by the way, that takes three to 12 months to heal. And oh, double, by the way, we can give you Tylenol for that and nothing else because of the conflicts. So go put a nice pack on it and hope that helps have a, have a nice three to 12 months. So it's, it, it feels like you said you had to do mental gymnastics in order to get to a place where you were, I don't know if the right word is comfortable. It's hard for me it's not if I'm probing too much. I have to imagine you're more aware of your mortality, that you're more aware of the time you have left. Is it hard? Is it easy? Is it? I would say that I'm more aware of my specific mortality. I've, for much of my life, been pretty aware, especially with my mother passing young, with other people in my life being gone, with how many I know that have committed suicide, all of that. I've been, I've been pretty aware that my time is going to end. I find that it changes when you have a specific way for it to. When I had a major head injury, I've I've had five concussions, but one of them probably should have killed me about 11 years ago. That was a consideration when we thought I might have permanent brain damage and may not get my memory back. And that, that was an issue and that, and I faced that then. And when it became specific, that was, that was heightened and it changed some things and changed my thought processes here. When it became specific, it changed my commitment to certain habits, which is what eventually will lead us to some of the talk about the water. But it it changed my commitment to certain habits. But I I don't think it changed my awareness level that I'm going to leave, just more a matter of specifically how I may leave. Are you scared? Are you confident? Are you, do you feel helpless? Do you feel powerful? All of that. Uh, and and that may sound like a, a ridiculous or a cop-out answer, but I, I, I feel all of it. I'm I'm scared in the sense that in, in a couple of senses. One, in the sense that I want to fulfill the mission that I know I'm meant for. And I know I know I haven't made it down that path yet. But I'm also, I'm scared in a practical sense. Like nobody, 
I think very few people anyway, really want to die. And I've had some fear of that all of my life. In fact, it was, it was really my deepest fear. I can remember back to six months old being afraid that I would die. And so having some of that out there, but I also confident, I'm, I'm confident in what I'm doing, that, that my approach, my mindset, my mission, that those are the right things that I, that I truly resonate with where I'm supposed to be in the world and that I'm fulfilling the, the mission I'm meant for in the world each day. And because of that, I, I think I also feel bold and excited and I look forward to it. And I'm, I'm committed to the idea that, that people matter most and that relationships are everything. And so I've, I've just remained really strong in that understanding that the connections that I have with people and how I have an opportunity to influence and impact their lives matters and stayed focused towards that. How about looking backward? Presumably, if one of the main changes you're making is to your diet Mm -hmm. and exercise, I think. Exercise was there. I would say I'm focused on more consistency because I'd lost some of it, but I've, I've exercised a lot of my life. I've tried desperately to out-exercise the kitchen. As it turns out, I can out-eat my exercise, but I can't run away from uh, what I need to do in the kitchen. So the diet is the biggest part and, and the medicines I'm taking. Looking back at the diet you had that you're changing from, did you, presumably you enjoyed what you ate before. Oh yeah. Was it worth the joy? If you could go back, would you have changed it or would you have enjoyed what you had or other? If I could go back, I would... I'm not really one to look and wish that I could go back. That in most, when people ask that question, like, what would you change in your life? My answer has generally been none because it brought me to where I am and to who I am. In the case of this, if I, if I step aside from that core belief and look at it, I would say that I would have changed it by a, by a percentage. I can't say that I would magically have changed every single thing about my diet and been completely restrictive and have done that for a long time because food is something that is that is vital and the, the things that come around food, food with it, all of that is is vital. But what I've been terrible at through most of my life is any form of moderation. I'm the guy who I do everything all the way and that includes eating. And so I would eat all of the things and I would eat all of all of the things. And that is what I would change is is putting a meter on that. And then as I like to say to many others, I would like to say that I would have made better choices much earlier. So it sounded like you're like, you wouldn't change anything, but you would change, you'd eat less or you'd eat less I would eat less, I would make better choices and I would eat less of it. And that's a lot of what I'm doing now. I'm having to take larger steps now because I waited. It's not that I, it's that in general in life, I wouldn't change anything. But if looking back, I accept the construct that, hey, what, what would you have fixed? It would be that. It would be, I would have applied moderation and better choices. And would that have made your life worse or better? Would have made it better. I would be in a physically healthier state, which I'm getting to now. I've, I've lost almost 20 pounds since everything has happened and I'm losing some each week. So I would be, I would be in a more, and, I, and I'm not as concerned about the number of the pounds as I am about how I feel and, and what that does for my future and my health. And so I would be in better physical shape. I'd be stronger. I would be, I would have in that sense, a much better prognosis. So life would be better. There's, you know, we hear the, I think we hear in society so much, the nothing, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. And I, I don't know that I love that phrase, but I certainly know this. I feel better when I am healthier. I feel better when I am making better choices. And I feel better when my body is in the state that it should be. And so these choices helping me get back to that state are very important. 
So you're saying the healthiness would make you feel better. Mm-hmm. If you liked what you were eating, does that mean that the healthiness more than makes up for the loss of what you weren't eating? Or what about the eating part? Is that a sacrifice? Would you lose out by eating less of what you were eating before? Or is there a gain there as well? Or is it neutral or something different? I think it's probably, it, would I come out ahead? Yes. But my, I guess my qualifier would be if I gave up eating all of those things that I loved, I do feel like that would be a significant sacrifice. If I moderated the quantity of those and made better choices about when and how often to eat them, I think that the health dramatically outweighs it. So it'd be a slight sacrifice more than made up for by the feeling better. Because I got to tell you, for me to stop, if I'm eating something that I like, stopping is really hard. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I have it in me. It is. It is hard. I think sometimes we need the stake in the ground to force us to make a dramatic change. I was speaking with, actually, I had a conversation with one of the doctors. I also had a conversation with one of the masters at our karate school. And one of the, we were talking about the difference between making small changes and making big changes. And adding a habit, adding something is easier to do with small changes and tends to hold on well. And taking away things is in some cases, you can do it with small changes, but because of the emotional connection of how hard it is to stop doing something, that sometimes that flipping of the switch becomes very powerful. It becomes significant. And for me, I think for food, that's been the case. It's it just me having to step back. And when I left the hospital, they said, Right now, until you go meet with rehab and you go meet with the nutritionist and all that, you should follow a strict cardiac diet. And that was that was a two by four upside the, upside the stomach, I guess, a little bit because it wasn't a little different than what I was doing. I went from eating like a poorly behaved, gluttonous 13-year-old to eating like a very restricted adult. And we've now with meeting with them, we've gotten back to... I don't know if I'd say in the middle because I don't think that's fair, but we've moved the slider back to where it, to where I believe it's sustainable long-term as opposed to a diet short-term. If I, before when I had the Snyder's of Hanover pretzel bits and the Ben and Jerry's all the time, I always had to stop myself from eating. That's really hard for me and uncomfortable. I had to make all these rules about how much I could eat and then it would be hard not to, to it'd be hard to stop and so forth. And I suppose from that felt eating less felt restrictive. Now that it's all fresh fruits and vegetables and whole grains, and then it's not, I don't have to stop myself. Like I eat, I can't say it's gluttonous because it's hard to say eating charred is gluttonous. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can eat until I'm full. I can eat until I'm stuffed. And so I don't have to stop. So I don't feel like you, what you're describing as restrictive doesn't feel restrictive to me. It feels on the contrary, very abundant. And I get that. And, and, I'll, and so- I'll, I'll use the example of when we made your very famous stew uh-huh. and I was able to eat as much as I wanted with, with no concerns and it tasted amazing. And for me, it's been about finding those things that connect with me at that, at that level of like food joy. I don't know that that's, that's a great term, but, but it, that connect with me at that level that are also very good for me and saying, Hey, great do more of that. I've been eating a ton more fruits and vegetables. I was eating a good amount of vegetables before, but I was eating a lot more of what 
of what you and now I would refer to as doof before as well. Uh-huh. By the way, this word has now made its way through my household and and it's made its way into our shopping trip. And I can't tell you that we buy no doof or that uh-huh. I eat none, but I can tell you that it's dramatically less than it was, some for this, some for just a conscious awareness. Making a conscious choice of what of what I'm putting into my body rather than eating emotionally, which I'm, that, that's certainly one of my struggles. I'm an emotional eater. So rather than doing that, but making a conscious choice or making a decision that there are things that are more important to me than the, than the food that I could go eat are, are I, those have been helpful. But when I eat things like the, the stew, or I eat things like fruits, which we were buying a dozen peaches and I'm going through them, you know, we're going through them in a couple of days, whatever, like, that's great. I love those things. My challenge that matches all of this and makes this a little more difficult is I'm a super picky eater. I'm curious. I am so, what's the word? Prejudice now to think that at some point you're going to not feel it's restrictive. Because that's what I went for for me. I, I didn't eat this way before. My latest thing is uh, I was reading about, oh, when I was up at Joe DeSena's place in Vermont, they were really big into, oh, actually, and, and before I went up there, while I was interviewing him for this podcast or while we were talking on the, uh, recording the conversation, he calls up on his phone, this guy that I think was in Arizona, who's really into sprouting, ma- making sprouts. So I finally got around to making sprouts out of mung beans. The first time I did it, I left them in standing water and I had to eat them really quick because they started smelling kind of not so good. <laughs> but the second time I, I put them in a, a strainer so that they, they weren't sitting in standing water and just put a towel on top. I got sprouts. And suddenly, you know, in the winter... In February, March, there's not a lot of greens available in the green market here, the farms market here. Now I think sprouts will give me greens all through the winter. So I think that's great. We, we have a tower garden in our living room. And so we grow year round about 20 plants and we go through lots of greens and it's bright, it's shiny. That's the, that's the thing as well is even looking at vegetables and fruits particularly if you're looking at them growing, I think it has a positive emotional boost in addition to the physical boost that it gives you. So the listeners can't see this, but I'm going to show like my, these t- like I can't go through all these tomatoes that I'm getting from my farmer's market. No, from my CSS. That's a lot of tomatoes. They look great though. I, I'm eating like as fast as I can. <laughs> Actually, did I tell you about this apple here? It's a red delicious. I usually wouldn't get red delicious, but um, I forgot if I was telling you about this. People are always making, oh, Josh, you can do things that other people can. You're privileged and blah, blah, blah. And New York City has this program right now. Certain schools, maybe all of them, they won't turn anyone away. If you want food, they have these packs of food, but it's, I mean, they call it food, but it's food and doof. A lot of homeless people get the stuff and in, there's always an apple or an orange or some piece of fruit in it. They will eat them and then they leave the, what they don't eat on the ground in a bag. I mean, I guess sometimes they throw it away, but in my experience, I see a lot of these half discarded, half eaten, discarded things on the ground. And a lot of times the apple, the orange, the fruit is left. So I will pick that stuff up. So this, this apple is, you know, it's these little ones that, and it, it's too shiny. It's not from a farmer's market. This is, right. you know, went through industrial, the industrial process. I eat food that homeless people throw out. That doesn't <laughs> it, sound super privileged. It's, <laughs> it's a weird thing that, yeah, because they don't want, for whatever reason, they eat the Cheetos, the doof, and they leave the apple and the oranges. So just like the kid, just like our kids. And avoid packaged food, but... I do make exceptions when it's being when it's in the garbage. So there's there's usually a container of the baby carrots, which normally I don't like baby carrots because carrots taste better than baby carrots in my experience. 
I, I tend to agree. I eat a lot of baby carrots, but I actually like the carrots better. I got, I don't know if you call this out of the trash or off the ground. They're sealed, these baby carrots. So I've been eating some baby carrots from sealed containers that homeless people throw away. I presume homeless people could be just kids. I don't know. Anyway, getting too far off of, I'm, the, <laughs> is, diet seems like the biggest change. It is. Yeah. I mean, the diet and the medicine and everything with it are, are the biggest change. And I, I started looking at, at numbers. I started looking and, and just really trying to see where I was. I'm a, I'm a numbers guy generally, and I'm also a strategist. And so I, I started looking and seeing like, well, what was I doing? Which I knew was bad, but I was like trying to like hold my, hold my hand over my eyes so I couldn't see how bad it was. And that I wasn't facing reality. And I looked at it and said, whoa, what I was doing was crazy, not good for me and really not making me happy at all. And so what do I need to do? And when I, I had this opportunity to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum for a little bit, all the way to the other end of what my spectrum was for a little bit, for a month or so. And that sort of reset things for me. I found that that was helpful. And now I've, now I've, I've found the lifestyle changes that I needed to make that put me in, in the spot of something that I can replicate. And again, continue, not only continue, but continue to improve. Were you talking only about food there or other lifestyle changes? Mostly food. I would include exercise and things like that into it as well. But I was already doing a lot of those. So I, I don't talk about it quite as much. It, I have made the commitment to make it consistent again. I go out for a walk every single day. Although for cardiac rehab, as I've started that, which has been interesting uh, and, and challenging and they've been amazing, but it's it's been a lot. They asked me for the first week to not go on my walks. It was driving me nuts. I was wake up in the morning and kind of tap my foot like I want to go for my walk, but they wanted to ease me into it. And so now I'm back to walking all the days. Were you consciously saying, were you, were you conscious when you were saying about these changes and how you could have been done them a long time ago? Were you conscious that you were saying what everyone can say about the environment? I mean, everyone's like, oh, I could do these things. I'll put it off because I'm kind of enjoying myself for a little indulging a bit. Yeah. Having, having spoken with you a number of times, I, I would say I'm more conscious of that, but it wasn't, it, it, the dots didn't connect completely until you said that, but I have an awareness of it. And going through the process that I have in the last month, and I say process because it's been a little bit of a process involving the water in the water bottles, which seems like such a small thing, has increased my awareness in other areas as well. And in fact, has increased our recycling. It's had, it's had a lot of, it's had a series of cascading effects, which I suspect you'll be happy to hear. I want to ask one last question before switching over to the water. Yep. The losing the 20 pounds, it sounds like it's effort, not effortless, but like a side effect of something you're doing otherwise. So you weren't intending to lose weight, specifically lose weight, but how does it feel? It feels good. It, I know that I have about another 60 to lose. So right now I'm 5'10 and probably still 235 and I and I need to be about I need to be to be at my very best weight and again I'm not I'm not so much about the number but I know what feels right to be at what feels right for me I need to lose somewhere between 50 and 60 more and need is is maybe a strong word it's going to happen I believe in life and in your habits and all of those things that if you do the right things the right way all the time the right things will happen so if I if I am following the, the the tenets that I have and that I've accepted and the disciplines that I that I have been instilling or reinstilling, that it will naturally happen. If you lost 20 and got to lose another 50 or 60, you were doing martial arts with an extra 80 pounds on you? Mm-hmm. So I was what, almost two, I was 240, I was basically 250. And ideally I would be about 175. 
I've been, I've done, yes, I've done both jujitsu and karate. And that's the thing. Like I was in better shape than it looked like in terms of my, in terms of my core and all of that, but I was carrying that weight. I have some thyroid issues that have contributed, that have made all of these things escalate a little further, the, the weight and everything that goes with it. But yes, I was carrying all of that extra weight. And man, just three years ago, I was at 195 when we got our first degree black belts and I felt a ton better physically than I feel right now. So I'll be back there by the end of the year. I'll be curious about how that, that the emotional journey of that, the rediscovering of the you that's been covered up. That's how it feels to me. Yeah, I think that's a, probably a pretty accurate description of it. And even just losing the 20, I noticed that breathing is just a little bit easier, right? Clothes fit just a little bit better, but all of those things. But it's... it. Feels good that that's gone, but I know with knowing that there's that much more still to go and knowing that it is happening, I have this mixture of I really, really want to make that progress and I really want to see that happen. I really want to feel that. And also that I'm confident that it's happening. It's not like maybe in the past when I would have tried to lose weight, when that would have been my goal, because that felt, that felt hard. And this feels like if I do the right things, the right things will happen. And I, I think to bridge us back, I think that is true for the environment as well. Let's talk water bottles then. So what was the reason you were acting on the water bottles? I mean, I instigated <laughs> it, but... Right. Well, the reason is that I have for a long time known that I needed to drink more water. And I had years ago tried, just had hated, hated drinking water. And I'd started drinking more. And at that point in time, I was drinking, I, I actually took a year where I drank nothing but water. Literally didn't have a drink of anything for that entire year other than water. And I, I mentioned before that I'm a super picky eater. Well, as it turns out, I'm a picky drinker as well. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I don't like spring water. I like filtered. I like filtered water. Like I'm, I'm such a snob about all of this, and I, I dislike that. And I've looked to, I've looked to change it. Historically, I've been unsuccessful at changing that. And the only thing that I really liked water wise were bottles of purified water. Or out of, or if somebody would deliver it in the in the big canisters, and we could get it and put it in the cups, which is causing a different problem. And I had tried to make that switch, and had been unsuccessful. So I'd just given up. And I had, we had been buying cases of water every week from the store. And every time you and I talked, you'd hear the crinkle, and I could just I could see the crinkle in your face every time I crinkled the bottle. And it bothered me. I like I know I want to be more of a steward than that. And I, I felt like I was stuck. I felt like I needed to do the thing to be healthy, but I was being unhealthy for the environment and it wasn't great. So when you and I were talking about what I could do, I looked down at that water bottle and I said, I know this is the time I need to do that. And so that, that's why. That's, that's, the, that's the why I started is that I needed to be good for the environment, but also good for my own internal environment at the same time and not stop drinking water. And so what'd you do? How'd it work out? So... The day after we talked, and I, I thought through the words that I said when we talked last time, as I was like, oh, I'm going to start in a few days. I'll start because I was thinking I want to start for a month. I'll finish the pack that I have. I mean, I actually have several packs in, the, in, the, uh, in, in my closet, but I'll finish the open one that I have. I Bluntly, I realized that was all bullshit. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I realized that that, was, that that was ridiculous. So I got off. I finished the one water bottle that I had out. And as I was, I was just like, that's the last water bottle that I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. And that is the last water bottle that I have. That's the last disposable water bottle 
that I've used. We ordered water bottles for me and we got them. We got them with a filter, with a Brita filter in them. And I have used this water bottle, which I know they can't see it, mm-hmm. but I've used this water bottle for the, for the last now 33 days, 32 days and have not, I, all the plastic ones are still sitting in my closet. They're not being used. They're well to say, we're to say they're there for some other random emergency, I guess, mm-hmm. but I haven't. And it's, it was interesting to see the impact on me, on my family, and on the other things that it that it spun out to. Let's hear. What, what were the impacts beyond? Well, the first is when I got off the call with you, I went out and I told my family after I after I processed it for a minute, I went out and told my family, "Here's what I'm going to do," and they basically rejoiced. Particularly my my wife, she's like, "I despise water bottles. I despise everything about them. You've been killing the environment. You need to stop." Mm-hmm. And so. You know, thank you for making my wife happy. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I did that, and my I think my son was mostly happy that he didn't have to carry them in from the store anymore. That that may have, may have been as far as he got in processing that. Although we've talked about it more, and he uses a reusable water bottle and drinks a lot of water, so he he was already there. I was like the one lagging behind, which also reminded me how bad of an example I was setting. And I don't I don't like to set a bad example for anything that I'm doing for for my son or really anyone else. So th- so I did that. Then I, I I stopped and I started drinking out of this bottle and I. I decided before I did that I would set my mind to look at it and say, this will work. I, I just decided it was going to, that it already had worked. And I, and I was manifesting that because I'd had all of these excuses in my head for why it wouldn't, why it would be a problem, why I would hate the taste, why it would be inconvenient, all of those things. And I decided ahead of time that that was not going to be the case, that it would be, that it was already successful. And so I was going to do it. And that when I did it, that I would continue doing it. And that I, that I was committed for 30 days, but I knew that that was to establish the habit because I was really committing to the different perspective. And as I did the water at first, I mean, like, man, it didn't taste great to me. Uh-huh. I've, I didn't love it. I still can't say it's my single favorite, but like, what do you know? You adapt to something mm-hmm. who knew? Right, we we adapt, and it's not like it was this hard adaptation. It wasn't like someone was hitting me with a whip three or four times a day, and I had to adapt to that. It was oh, the water tastes a little bit different, and I have to go refill it every once in a while instead of walking to my refrigerator. And I realized, and and truly recognized that all of the things, and I think this is true in so many for so many things for so many of us, that all of the things I'd been saying in my head about this were just lies, excuses, and total BS. And so here I am with my water bottle and I've done that. It also got me thinking, and I'll I'll pause there, but it got me thinking about other things about the environment as well. All right. So I want to hear about the other things you thought. What were the emotions that you felt? I mean, it sounds like, I mean, partly there was a resolve and how did that feel when it got started? How did it feel when your wife told you those things? What did it feel like when your son told you those things? What did it feel like at two weeks after three weeks or? Yeah, I, I think that, one of the emotions that I had was really irritation with myself. Like, how did I let myself buy into this and end up in that spot? Mm-hmm. And I don't like it when I've bought into excuses. I'm a, I'm a pretty good, pretty good guy in general of stepping away from excuses and helping others do the same. So to recognize that for years I've been buying into excuses about about changing water mm-hmm. and about something that that where I could make a difference with no measurable impact on my life, but, a, but that would have a measurable impact on others. Yeah, that was frustrating. When I told my wife 
and she responded that way. I, I think I had a mix, right? I was, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I get it. You've been, you, you, you've talked about this for a while. So there was a little bit of that. Right. Mm-hmm. But there was also, there was also, I think the piece that went along with like, yes, you were right. I was wrong. Damn it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so there, there was that with my son, it was, Look, I'm I'm glad I can I'm glad I can find another area to be a positive example. I make plenty of mistakes in life, so it's nice that I can find another thing that I can do right and and be an example for him and model that for him so that he can then go do it and model it for others and so that it spreads beyond just me. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. The irritation you had for yourself, it sounds like, I think people, when they anticipate changing, they anticipate the immediate feelings and they discount or they're not aware of what happens in the long term. So maybe when your wife said that, you're like, oh crap, she has been right all along. And in, in order not to face that feeling, people lose the chance of what comes after that which is, in my case, liberation and freedom. And, and you know, I can do what I want because I know that what I'm doing, I don't have to be like, oh, this is going to hurt someone. And I mean, the way I usually put it is if you're, if you're addicted to something, you know the feelings of withdrawal that will hit you. It's almost unimaginable to think of what comes after that. If you take heroin, you know how good it feels to get that hit. Maybe intellectually, you know that if you exercise, that'll make you feel good, but nowhere near the intensity of the hit. And you also know that you're going to get the headaches and sleepless nights and the vomiting or whatever comes to it with the, but you'll get decades of feeling good from exercise and days, I guess, of withdrawal and the hit can't last forever. So it seems like the payoff is huge in favor of, of kicking the habit. I think so. And in fact, I'm a, I'm a power of small numbers guy. So I, I, instinctively take things back to avert to some form of figuring out like, what is that impact, right? So on a, on a simple level, I was going through about five water bottles a day. A day? Oh, Jesus. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I, I, I see the pain all the way. Remember, we've, we've fixed this problem, uh-huh. so it's okay, right? We're, we're, we're going forward. So, it, but you think of it as five, right? That's, that's 35 a week. That's 350 in 10 weeks. That's 15, what, 1750 for, you know, probably 1800 for the year. That's almost 2000. And that's aside from the other. So that's close to 2000 water bottles a year just for me. And then I looked and said, well, now let's add what it would be if my, if my son were doing it or if my wife were doing it. Oh my goodness. Even if we're at 5,000 water bottles a year, the impact of that is hugely negative. We, we don't think, I hadn't thought of the impact outside of, oh, it's one water bottle. But when you start saying it's, it's 2,000 water bottles, well, what if I melt down 2,000 water bottles or I throw 2,000 water bottles on the pile out front, then what does that look like? What does that do to the environment? It's 
significant. And we were talking earlier about the the impact that it's had. It was seeing that that was significant, which is a, an example that I use in almost everything that I train, the power of small numbers and building that up to see the significance, the significance of raising your price $1, the significance of, of, of improving your clothes percent 1%. Now it's the significance of one water bottle. But one of the outpourings is that I have ended up picking up garbage, particularly water bottles, strangely enough, that I that I have seen laying around and put them in the in the recycling bin or wherever wherever it may be. But it has me seeing the broader environment through a different lens, despite the fact that I started through the very, the very tiny hole or the very tiny beginning that was an individual water. Well, it makes me feel like there might be something this technique of mine on the podcast. I mean, it's almost like you've tested and proven that a bunch of times. Yes. Okay. If before this experiment, I had given you all those numbers, how would you have responded? Reluctantly. I may may or may not have been persuaded, but if I did, it would have been reluctantly. And now you're saying them, I feel like almost your own behavior has inspired you. Well, what I would say is that numbers inspire us when they when they reinforce a path that we know to be right but before we make a change numbers can actually be weaponized in many cases even if they're not intended to be and they can they can feel almost attacking and encourage us encourage us to be defensive now applied in the right way and you're of course you you have the ability to be very tactful and insightful and and get it out there so maybe Maybe it would have motivated change, but I think in general, numbers support an argument. They aren't the argument, and they also reinforce a change. They aren't the change. I realized, I'm going to put it in slightly different terms. So you've thought about this too. I've finally answered, why do environmentalists always give statistics and numbers? Kind of like you were saying about, the, like about what you were saying about the water bottles. Even though it gener- like giving people information rarely changes behavior but they love giving the numbers anyway. And people who receive the numbers, like, stop telling me, I heard it already. I know. And I finally figured it out. If you feel powerless, if you feel that no matter what you do, it will make a difference, then giving the numbers only reinforces how you're hurting people, but you can't do anything about it. So it just makes you feel worse. When you feel powerful, then the numbers motivate you because you're like, oh my God, what a difference I can make. It's piling on versus building up. Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. I also think that numbers have their place even before a change is made. Where they where they have a place in my mind is as the hook, as the thing that gets you to, to maybe go, oh, I'll pay attention. Now you pay attention. What comes next is what matters. And what I see from most environmentalists is that what comes next is a bunch more numbers rather than, hey, Here's a fact to get your attention. Now let's talk about what's like, what's real. Let's have a dialogue. Let's understand what it, what an impact really is. And how do we know that? We know that because what do people connect with? They connect with stories. And in many cases, environmentalists, especially those who are just giving number after number, are not telling a story. They're simply reciting facts. Well, I do tell stories. And if I remember right, really when it got me to the story in my third TEDx talk about Dunkirk? Yeah, we worked through that. Okay. Yeah. Which I greatly appreciate to you for that. Although in your case, and the technique on this podcast is not to, I mean, I do tell stories, but it's experiences. Of course you do. Right. But experiences are stories. You can say, okay, but I'm not telling you your story of the water bottles. I got you. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, for sure. I take for granted that people already know 
whether they know specific numbers or not, they know water bottles aren't, you know, there's something in their life that they're doing that they know they don't have to do. Oh yeah. Here's something. The thing that you're saying about water, you didn't like the taste of water of some waters. You did like the taste of other waters. I think a lot of people who go through this, they realize how entitled and spoiled they were at least about one or two things. And I often ask like, Aaron knows someone who's spoiled or entitled, right? Have you ever said this? I like my friend, Fred. He's so entitled. I love how spoiled this guy is. No one likes it, right? It, but the person who's spoiled and entitled never knows themselves that, they, that other people see them that way. Right. We Americans, we Westerners, we first worlders, so much comfort and convenience and so much coming at expense of someone else that has to, you know, someone's, those water bottles aren't just disappearing, as you know. Yeah, as it turns out, they're not. <laughs> and so when we, when we do this, we realize how, I think this is a big thing. I was talking to this guy the other day and he's, he's going to get his family to drop their plastic, single-use plastic consumption in their house for 50, by 50% for, I think, a month. And he, after he commits, he goes, hey, Josh, what do you, what do, you do about berries? Because we get berries in the clamshell, you know, plastic containers. And partly I, I, was, I was saying, well, I, one of my big changes is that I eat seasonally. So when berries aren't in season, I don't eat berries. Just like humans for all of, you know, since humans were around. Right, right. And Partly I felt like oh, I shouldn't have given him an answer because I'd rather he figure it out on his own. He'll, he will figure it out on his own. And the bigger thing is, I think the, the flip side to berries, whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want, doesn't matter about the plastic, whatever. The flip side to that is not no berries. Part of it is self-reliance, you know, solving a problem, not being spoiled. And it's becoming not spoiled. It's realizing your own entitlement and getting past that and saying, I don't need this exact kind of water, like other water, probably good enough. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And I, I like the problem solving focus because it seems to me that we, it's easy to take the easy way out. And that's kind of what we do, right? Is that we, we just default. And when you decide instead, hey, I care about something, you figure out how to solve it. Mm-hmm. And if you, anything that you can put in a framework that you already care about, you know, if, if I had a problem, if I, if I faced a challenge with something that was potentially hurting my son, I would figure out what to do about it because that's, that is in both my core values and my priorities. I like to say, I'm confident. I understand my priorities in life and that that's very high up. And so I will, I will prioritize that over anything. Well, once we commit to something, once we say, once we, once it connects to us in more of a visceral way, we start problem solving instead of problem avoiding or instead of taking the easy way out. This is what like people say, Josh, don't make it all so don't make it all this like positive stuff about I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not as accessible to people who haven't made the shift. But once you make the shift, the flip side is not I gotta drink water that tastes bad, or I don't have access to water whenever I want, wherever I want. It's self-reliance, but there's something else. It's it's self-determination, it's confidence, it's it's so much, it's living life deliberately. And then you end up having abundance, not scarcity. Yes. It's, it's living intentionally. I like that. Living in, I, like, I like the phrase living in deliberately, deliberately rather. And I think living in abundance, I think talking about that a little bit more is important. I, I've said pretty frequently that thanks to messages that I connected with last year, that we can't live with one foot in scarcity and one foot in abundance and ever expect true success. But I suspect most people, myself included, other than having spoken with you a lot, 
it would not look at the environment as an abundance scarcity issue or look at this decision as an abundance scarcity issue. Can you reframe that a, a little bit? Like using, using those frames, can you maybe flesh that out a little and say, why is this choice, in my case, for say water, we can, we can use that as an example. Why is that a choice of abundance when it could easily be perceived as a choice of scarcity? Yeah, I can tell you from my experience that when I first experimented with avoiding packaged food, it seemed obvious to me, speaking in mathematical terms, the set of packaged and unpackaged food is greater than the set of unpackaged food. There's simply, there's, if you take all the kinds of packaged foods and all the kinds of unpackaged foods, that's obviously, there's, that's greater than the variety in simply unpackaged. But the lifestyle of packaged is you'd get what's handed to you you go down the aisle and it's like this kind of chip and that kind of chip and you feel like they're different kinds of chips, but then now they're all the same chips. I mean, to me, potato chips and frosted flakes are basically the same thing. And like the cereal aisle and the, the chips aisle, it's the same thing. And there's no variety anymore in those things. And I know that from back then, I would look at broccoli and cauliflower and say, there's no difference between those, let alone between, I was talking about red delicious apple. I actually, I'm growing to love Red Delicious, even, I mean, which was not one of my favorite ones before. They're the boring fruit. I'm not saying they're boring, but compared to all the rest, virtually most fruits, if you say, would you like a cherry or an apple or, you know, the equivalent mass of cherries versus apples, I'd pick the cherries, mango or apple, mango. But man, I'm starting to love apples and just finding all this nuance that I never noticed before. So the variety when you're eating packaged is what they give to you. When you make it yourself from scratch, it's what you create. And when you create it, the abundance, the variety increases. And then of course you can eat so much more of it. And I don't feel I have to stop. On the contrary, I haven't been able to stop. I just, especially now in late summer, my stews, I just put in more, a higher ratio of green leafy stuff, of chard or kale or broccoli or... Those stews are amazing, man. I'm glad to, glad to be a good shout out for that. I heard you talk about it for a while. We went and I, I shared it with my wife. We went and made one of them and it's amazing. And I think it's this week or this coming weekend or early next week, we're going to make another one. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fantastic. And being able to just look at that and say, there's nothing bad for me. And there are many yeah. things that are good for me in it. Did I, you asked earlier about feelings and emotions. I ate that and I felt good. Like it wasn't just that I enjoyed it. I did feel good eating that. I was, I wasn't proud. Like, I, I feel like, like I was like, yeah, I'm eating this and it's really good. But there, like, that's, there, there's, there's like an edge of that emotion in there, but it was, it was like, yeah, like I, I emotionally feel good about eating this food and fantastic. I don't want to uh, take away the surprise or set up on, on too high expectations, but I believe that I feel euphoric, like not just good, but like, I don't want to describe it as like high or, or psychedelic. It's not that. It's just like floating on air sometimes when I'm eating, especially because eating seasonally means you're eating stuff all the time that you haven't eaten in 10 months. Right. And I guess it's probably the release of sugar from the stuff, but I don't know, but it's just really good. <laughs> I never expected that. And it, it, that's what kind of what made it more interesting to me is because if I knew to expect it, then I'd be like, is that it? Is that it? But it was just like, this keeps happening. I keep feeling really good. So the abundance is because I'm creating it because I can eat as much of it as I want without thinking twice. Also, 
now, especially because I, I, I'm sure I told you about the, I always go to the same stands in the farmer's yep. markets and I get this stuff that they, that they leave. So now I'm getting just so much free vegetables that they're thanking me for taking because it saves them the trouble of taking back to the farm. The flow of cash is That's pretty powerful. I, mean, I still buy, I, I buy stuff from them and then get the extra stuff. Right. Because I, I don't, I don't want to be like, hey, just give me free stuff. <laughs> and I'm not going to buy anything. Not just mooching, right? I gotcha. And it's just like the Netflix, since they're thanking me, since they're happy about it, it's like I'm, I'm getting paid in not dollars, but in, you know, goodwill. In value and goodwill, right? Sure. Yeah. And these days there's like lots of, I got a whole bunch of heirloom tomatoes for free and zucchini, the zucchinis are just insane. They just, they just a lot. Yeah. So you said you started looking at other things in the environment differently. What I would say is that my awareness has increased and I've started doing other maybe smaller things that add up over time, right? Like being, I've, I've always tried to pick stuff up if I could, but I've been very conscious about looking at stuff that's laying on the ground or laying when I go out, I go out for a walk every day. And if I find stuff, I, I will, uh, I'll collect those few things and, and take them to where, take them to, even if it's just a, a basic trash receptacle to get them out of the environment. I have been looking as I, as I've gone out, I've been looking at what restaurants or what stores are using more sustainable practices. I've been, I've been buying differently. I've actually used less plastic bags when I've been buying things. And that, that came from, actually that came from our follow-up discussion of the no packaging part of the vegetables do of, wait a minute, you probably put some of those in plastic bags. And I was like, damn it. Yes, I did. And so, (laughs) so I've, I, I, again, it's, it's degrees. And it's, it's, you know, maybe it, maybe in a sense, it's a little bit like erosion that it's, that it's happening over time. It's not that a light switch flipped and, and magically I'm wearing like some environmental superpower cape, but I'm making, I have a greater awareness and I'm making measurable changes that have expanded beyond water bottles in only a short time. What's next, if anything? Well, the water bottle thing is going to continue. Uh, one of the things is permanent forever. My, my commitment now is through the end of the year, which really means it'll be forever because if I establish a habit like that, it doesn't tend to go away. Mm-hmm. I have some questions about how that will work as I move to travel, particularly internationally. And, and I know we can get into a whole discussion about that, but as there, there are some questions that I, that I, some challenges I need to work out with that, but yes, I'm, I'm committed to that. And I am also committed to beginning to share stories that are related to the movement that I'm making in the environment with a broader audience and other specific changes. I think awareness will awareness will lift those up to me a, a little bit more. My food choices are doing that. I'm not eating. I'm eating dramatically less doof, and therefore, and, and some of it is because it's just bad for you. Some of it is because I look and go, wow, that's three quarters packaging and one quarter the thing. Some of it is because I, I realize I probably shouldn't just be eating what's the equivalent of plastic. I, I still like, there, there are still foods that I like a great deal uh, that aren't gone, but those are some of the changes. And we'll, I'm, I'm interested to see what more comes, what more naturally evolves, in fact, over the next, say, six, six months or so. I'm almost feeling like you haven't reached it yet, but that there's a change of identity, not full identity, but like that this might become part of you. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably fair. And, I, and to be more fair about it, I, I think that having conversations with you repeatedly and, and go working through these topics and just and debating things and working through that, 
I think that has made a difference and has primed the pump, so to speak. And I guess that's a challenge that I would give to those who are listening is if it, it and not, not for them all to go and talk to Josh, but boy, but more to have those discussions in your life. I've, I have over this last month now had active discussions about the environment with my wife, with my son, and actually with a couple who were outside of my family. And I can't say that they've been all the most transformative, incredible discussions ever, but a movement, movement is created by motion, right? Motion trumps emotion. So how do we, how do we take those steps and begin to build, I should say momentum is created by motion, but how do we, how do we take those first steps and begin and begin or add to other people's momentum? And I I look at that as a piece that comes out of it. When you said a broader audience, do you mean you're, are you going to start bringing this experience or something from it into Leaders Must Lead and your various communities? Yeah, I, I will. I haven't, I haven't figured out exactly, exactly in the way that it fits, but I'll at least tell this story and then see where that goes. And then look for, I'm looking for other opportunities to blend it into the culture of our company, to the culture of our team. We're already supporting a number. We we already know largely in many ways, like where are we going, right? What are we, what are we standing for? But I see this as a component of our core values and looking for the manner in which that tweaks and adjusts our core values. And for me, when I train core values, a core value says every single thing that you do flows through these. And if, and if anything you're going to do violates any one of these, then you don't do it. And so I'm very careful about how I adjust those core values, but I'm looking for how do we adapt that in a way that we can make a difference for the broader world, not just in things like human trafficking and poverty and hunger and racism, all of which we're all of which we're working towards, and suicide for sure. But how do we make a difference in the in the broader impact that isn't divided but affects everyone, which is our environment? Something I hadn't thought about while we were talking, but probably you were thinking about. It. Were you conscious that probably people from your community are going to be hearing the this conversation and the one before it, like I, I presume you're going to you're going to share this with them. Of course. How's that entered the, your thought process along the way? Were you conscious of it or just letting go and just? No more. I in that case, I think more more letting go and and I like to I like to share. Whatever I share, I tend to share pretty passionately and say, you know, please listen. Here's some things that are important we talk about and and see where that hooks. I'm interested to see what discussions it, that come from it, but I hadn't I hadn't walked through in my head the the impact of sharing them specifically with my audience, although I certainly will be doing so. The questions that a couple of minutes ago you were asking rhetorically, I wonder if they will come back to you with answers based on being a part of that community. Yeah, they, they may well. I mean, our, our community is growing. They're pretty vibrant. They, they like to engage and I'm open. I'm certainly open to feedback and, and hearing thoughts from them as to how that goes. I'll also be reaching out to my team in our next couple of team meetings, which we we meet together as a full team once a month. And I will I'll prime the pump in the next meeting and then we'll have we'll have more of a discussion over the following month to get their feedback because this is I may have founded the company, but the, the company is uh, is is really us as a group and it and it's vibrant in the mission that we the clear mission we're aiming at. Well, I want to leave an open invitation for how things, if you want to come back and share how things evolved, changed, either evolved the ideas themselves or you or evolved other people in the community, because I'd love to hear back. 
that would be great. I'm totally, uh, totally about that. And that uh, I, I love keeping, keeping the train on the tracks and sharing the evolution of the process. I, I have recognized that in my life, I tend to be an all or nothing guy, but I've had to learn that if I do everything all or nothing, I run in, I run into some trouble. So I've, I've had to, I've had to learn to look and allow the evolution of things to occur because those are the things that'll stick. And so I know that this is a point and it is a starting point, but it's it's a good starting point, or maybe it's a continuation point. But I, I'm excited to see what happens in the next six months and a year, and I'm glad to come back and talk about it in a few months. Look forward to it. Uh, anything I didn't think to ask that uh, that's worth covering, or anything you want to say to the listeners? I would just say that to everyone that everything that you do matters and is worth consideration. That we do so many things by default. We do so many things by our programming, either that we've been given or that we've that we've allowed to to take root, and if this last month and and my conversations with Josh and Josh in general have have highlighted something, it's to remind me that even in the areas of our life that that aren't our current job or aren't our current main focus, that we should examine that programming. We should look and challenge those beliefs, look and for, root out, and get rid of those excuses and recognize the power of small change to make big change in not only the world, but actually in our life as the evolution occurs. So I would challenge you to have, have that reflection have those conversations. They've been a benefit to me and I'm confident they can, that they continually will. And as, as we do, that, that's how we grow and move together. And that's how a movement builds. And that's how momentum is gained and true broader generational change is accomplished. Dan McPherson, thank you. Thank you, man. Dan seemed to reach a greater ratio of change to effort than many guests. That is a big change for not a lot of effort. He sounds to me like he's just starting. That is more to come. Maybe because he's changing a lot of other things in life post-heart attack. Maybe because he's changed so many things before and because as a leader, as a leadership coach, he helps people through processes like that. I love that he's made the term doof a part of his vocabulary and that it's taken root with his family. Man, it clarifies and simplifies choosing what to buy and what to put in our mouths so much. I recommend switching from calling doof other things to calling it doof. His experience to me reinforces how much we do on autopilot, things that hurt others. And instead of facing that we're doing these things, that we're causing these effects to others, we put it out of our minds because it superficially makes us feel bad. Partly because we don't see the life improvement that comes after the transition. The transition can be hard. Dan, I think, has experienced this life improvement already after just a month of just switching, not using water bottles. It sounds like he's bringing this experience to his online communities, I suspect that he'll start leading people through this experience too, not just in his online communities, but in general in life. Like there's a bit of what I bring to people. I think he's going to start bringing to people too. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.